Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society, and this is the after show for The Sleeping Father. Hopefully you've listened to both episodes of this outstanding dead series. It's two episodes, I can call it a series. This is my interview with Michelle and Kieran Mulroney, and this is truly crucial listening for anyone who wants to know the real story of how so many careers in this business go. It is mandatory listening for aspiring writers and any working writers who are maybe in a dry spell. I mean, like we've been on strike for 90-something days, so all writers are in a dry spell, but, you know, I mean, before that. Uh, Michelle and Kieran talk about getting their start in the business, adapting Dickens for dogs, and then they talk about the 10-year drought they had where they wrote a dozen spec screenplays that didn't sell. You're going to hear how they broke that losing streak in the best way possible, how they persevered, and how they ultimately achieved major success by writing what they wanted to write. This is a must-listen. These are great people, great writers. Uh, enjoy my interview with Michelle and Kieran Mulroney after a brief message. Hi everyone, I'm Laura House. And I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and sometimes it feels like the whole world is a dumpster fire. Right? There's too much to worry about. That's why we make Tiny Victories. It's a 15-minute podcast where we celebrate our minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. And listeners call in, like Valerie, who found the perfect gift for her daughter's boyfriend, and Adam, who finally turned his couch cushion the right way. And little happinesses, like how birdsong helps your brain. That's science. So join us in not freaking out for 15 minutes a week. That's Tiny Victories with Annabelle and Laura, Mondays on Maximum Fun. Whew, it's a tiny victory just to make a network promo. Honestly. Um, so I, I've been doing th- this fun little dive into the Michelle and Kieran Mulroney world, which is, and I'm very fascinated to learn mm. more about, you know, oh, so you're, bo- you're both actors, you just sort of both started as, as actors, I presume, um, or I don't know, I don't want to, I mean, I know you're both actors, yeah. um, and, but, you know, I'd love to hear just how, you know how you got your start how how you met and started writing together and I want to hear about you know Sonny and Cher love you oh, and yeah. oh, man and that's the one that, that's I might the... be imprisoned for that <laughs> um I mean there's such a it's a funny long story I was we met in actually we met during the 1988 writer's strike because okay. Kieran was a full-time working actor in LA at that time and I was in uh, theatre school in London, I uh, went to the Central School of Speech and Drama. The Royal, the Royal Central, Central School, School of Speech, Speech and, and Drama. drama. Was I, was, I was studying, directing and acting, and we had a little theatre company that we were taking up to the Edinburgh Theatre Festival that, that summer of 88. And Kieran, because the writers were striking, there was nothing shooting. I mean, there was no work. And that was a six-month strike. And that was, that was, that was a really long answer. strike, yeah. So you had a friend who was directing one of the plays in this company that I was involved with. And she just said, there's nothing going on in LA. Why don't you come do this theater thing in the UK? And so he came over and we met acting in a play um, that summer up in Edinburgh. It was Moliere. A Moliere play. If you, if you, you must know. know. Which, which Moliere play? It was actually School for Husbands, which is the lesser lesser known than School for Wives. Yeah. The lesser yeah. play, but and the lesser play as yeah. our husband sometimes. <laughs> exactly. uh, um, yeah, I often people are like, "What kind of kid were you in high school?" I was like, "I was really into Moliere." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a jam. Well, I was a fr- I was a, what, I was what a, a shame. I was a literally double major. I was doing theater and I was also a French major. So I was doing both, and so I was actually a nerdy kid who was into Moliere when I was So that's how we met in in that summer. And um, Kieran was, I mean, I never really pursued a serious acting career. Kieran was a 20 years an actor. I did. I, I started out, this is in the, uh, this is a long time ago. I won't put a year on it, because then, you know, <laughs> ageism kicks in, and I'm, I'm unhirable anymore. But, uh, this is a long time ago when they used to hire young young kids in the sort of John Hughes era. 
Um, and so I had a, I had a, a very nice sort of career for the first, you know, five or six years. And then as I describe it over the next 15 years, the industry was gently escorting me out of the business as an actor, <laughs> sort of from, from, you know, big roles and leads and things to smaller and smaller guest stars, guest stars, commercials. And, you know, it's the, it's the, the, the usual story, but at a certain point it became, you know, the writing was on the wall that, that, that the acting career was maybe not the most, not the smartest uh, the, the thing to stay in pursuit of. And, uh, and so Michelle, and I started writing because she wisely was like, "Dude, this ain't gonna work we out." We gotta diversify. We gotta diversify, and of course, being <laughs> brilliant, what do you diversify into? Oh, the easier career as a, as a Hollywood screenwriter, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but it was it was wild. I mean, we were, I was working in development at the time for a, a British company, Granada Film, that had a Hollywood office back then, an LA office. And so, you know, I was reading a lot of scripts, a lot of great things, Prime Suspects, a lot of it's in that era. era. Mm. And I was reading a lot and sort of learning about giving notes and sort of just the basic development process in my mid-20s. And uh, I thought, I don't know, maybe I could try to write one of these things. And so he was doing a movie called The Spitfire Grill that was shooting out in Vermont in the middle of nowhere. I quit my job, which was very rash at the time, so we had really had no money, but I quit mm. my job. And we took an electric typewriter and we went to a little cabin in the woods where he was staying for the movie. And we wrote our first, very first screenplay on an electric typewriter and had such a good time doing it. And, and we're very lucky, got back to LA and, and showed it to a couple of people and got an agent off of that script and sort of started phase one of our writing career, which was a roller coaster. There was a phase one, then it, all, the, it all went to shit, and then we really That was the, 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 the failed chapter. The, the failed uh, chapter first, yeah. It took us a long, long time to get, um, you know, people to decide to buy our brand of full. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was it was a long it was a long road. It's right as it, as it is for so many people. It you know, is. Say, it is. You don't. You know. Even if you even if you sort of they they open the door and let you in off something that you write early, um, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're that you're immediately successful and that it's just going to keep going. It's the it's usually the opposite. You know. And yeah. it's, the, it's the long grind and the and that sort of the the war of attrition and who's got the who's got the stomach to stick it out. And it took. I don't know, it probably took the better part of a decade to go from, you know, just sort of relentlessly writing and writing and writing and writing till, um, you know, we sort of... Really paying the bills, yeah. you know. But I, I, was, I always say to people, it's funny, that decade, that first decade was, um, we met, we made so many relationships during that time. We probably wrote a dozen specs over that that period of wow. time, right? And so... Uh, some never, of which, by the way, are horrific. Yeah, yeah. Some of which are like, <laughs> that's terrible. But some were, were so bad. And, you know, so we were able to, even though we weren't killing it in, on the bank account front at that time, we we were making a lot of relationships in the business through these specs. And, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, our very first paid writing gig, which we're very proud of, was uh, writing for the PBS show Wishbone about a little Jack Russell Terrier that was an avid reader of literature. And he would sort of then morph himself. Uh, he would actually enter the stories that he was obsessed with and he would play, you know, Romeo, Romeo and Romeo and Juliet. And we, uh, so I think our very first job was adapting great dickens great expectations for a jack russell terrier so that was our that was our first paid writing gig in the the, the early 90s which which to be clear the, the great expectations is is about 680 pages long it's it's gigantic and that the the because the dog enters the story late it's really it's a you know a 30 minute episode of kids tv and only 15 pages of that are the story. So we had to take an eight, a 700-page Dickens novel and adapt it for a dog into a 15-minute segment and tell the whole story. So, you know, it's a little trauma. You learn a lot you know, yeah. about adaptation. Exactly. <laughs> one of the, one of the, the, the skills that we picked I up. I said the other day, you really have not lived, you haven't worked as a writer until you have adapted the Aeneid for a Jack Russell Terrier. <laughs> we did that. So what kept you going during that <laughs> decade i mean because this is so important for people you know whatever yeah. aspiring writers to hear that this is not an atypical story yeah. you know no. th this is often how it goes no one wants to you know think that this is how it goes it seems like oh you get your agent and you're on rails and it's just yeah. one you, you just keep moving up but that's so often not the case but to write you know 12 i don't know how many of those 12 specs it sounds like you weren't 
selling we were not selling them we weren't selling them so but and in the face of you know that disappointment and and rejection you 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 kept going and what do you think it was that enabled you to just keep the, 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 the answer partly is is that I, we never felt like and th th this will sound self-aggrandizing in a sense but we never felt like we weren't having success because we weren't we, we weren't writing well you know it was it was a business thing and it always is is that you know we had we had scripts that you know sort of should have sold or were you know were read around town and people liked and didn't sell and stuff you know so we we did have some sort of positive you know the reinforcement coming back to us but um at the end of the day, you know, it's the it's the, the, what I was describing is that if the writer's right, right? I mean, if you're if you're a, if you're actually kind of, if you're actually a, a writer, as opposed to somebody who writes to be in the business, then you'll keep writing even if the business doesn't want you. You know, and we we arrived at the the, the sort of the the happy ending or the happy beginning part of the story is that after after a bunch of years of not selling the stuff that we were that we were writing and not being allowed in um we were dropped by an, our, our agent hmm. uh, which again also happens to a lot of people and it was um it was a it was a big agent and i can tell you their names if you want and, I mean, <laughs> she actually kicked me under the table what? Stop. No, no, i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> no but um you know please edit that shit out <laughs> and you know and, and probably rightly so we we, we got dropped and we didn't stop writing, you know. I mean, it's it, it was an easy out. It could have been the sort of the end of the road, and we just kept going because we enjoyed it, and we, I mean, we enjoyed I, look, doing it together. We know? did, but I mean, and look, Kieran's right in that we had gotten enough positive reinforcement that we felt okay. We have some clue what we're doing, but we look, we planned on quitting. I mean, there was definitely a point where we said, okay, we we got enough. I mean, you know, we said we got dropped by the agent and there was a couple of years period. We had a young kid and stuff. So we were busy with other things and he was still acting and, you know, we planned on quitting. And then we said, let's just maybe like write one more script, but let's just do it for us. Let's just write whatever the fuck we want. Let's not worry about what an agent or anyone in the business is going to think. And of course that was the screenplay that, we got into the Sundance Writers Lab, the Director's Lab, um, and we got signed after that by uh, WME, and later that that person moved to CAA. It was actually before the E. That was it, just straight that's up. Right. Yeah. 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 Morris, that's yeah. right. And when we got managers and and sort of that little tiny script, which we went on to direct a movie called Paper Man, um, really became the sort of re-entry point for the sort of second, much more fruitful part of our career so it's so funny because it, it felt like we were <laughs> writing something totally uncommercial uh with a voice that was completely just whatever the fuck was coming out of us we didn't edit ourselves at all and it turned out to be instead of trying to fit to the marketplace or write something that would sell you know life lesson for all writers there that ended up being the thing that 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 got us back in in business and we have been beyond fortunate ever since to be cranking out all kinds of stuff so but it was so lucky. It, it really was that sort of do do, do us doing us mm -hmm. for for us you know and it's it's a hard thing to do and I'm, i don't you know i'm not here to sort of speak to the the you know the the, the younger early career writers it's not uh there's no lesson here really mm -hmm. But you know, it's the it's when you when you can sort of own your yourself as a writer, as opposed to trying to fit into the business of writing. Yeah. There's a there's a chance that that's that's the voice that that is going to sort of be singular and where, where people are going to embrace. Because you know, I think Hollywood's always looking for the next big thing. I mean, obviously, it's that it's the the way the business works. And as a writer, it's hard to be the next big thing. Because the the you know the the jobs that look that that appear you know the success that's out there is you know is built on on what the business wants, not what they're looking to be surprised by. You know the business doesn't want to be surprised by the things they make, but they do want to be surprised by the people that make them. You know, uh, which is a long way of saying that you know the the thing that sort of got us in was the the last thing in the world that you would expect to be the the kind of thing that gets you in. You know. Mm -hmm. And I love that it was at the right at the all is lost moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we were, we were done. We were broke. <laughs> we had a child. We're like, we have to be responsible. We can't stop. We have to stop this bullshit right now. We actually, I mean, we really. We had, we had very, very serious conversations that our next move was going to be to move to Wales. 
and, and the and coal mine. You were going to go down the mines. Of course, we were going to we were going to manufacture artisanal cheese. That was our plan. <laughs> that was our plan. We're going to learn to make cheese, and we're going to go to Wales and open a business. <laughs> like get out of Hollywood. They don't want us. All right, we'll make some cheese in so Wales. Trust me, the world's a better place for us not manufacturing cheese. <laughs> it really is. Well, we do still do that in a way. <laughs> Literary so, cheese. How yeah. were you paying the bills during that decade? Was it? I mean, Kieran, you were. Were you still getting like episodic? Yeah, yeah. we we always always managed to keep enough money coming in through the through the acting. Uh, road to you know to keep our doors open it was and both of you were was it were you no, michelle were you just no just I you was, were, we had a kid and i was sort yeah. of still holding down you know partly holding down our, our our whatever ongoing writing that we were doing and like kieran was making you know some smaller stuff but still working it yeah. enough as an actor that i mean it was the times were lean i, I am not yeah. gonna lie it was it was definitely a sort of like fuck we have to figure this out time and so it was just semi-miraculous that that um sundance came into our lives at the moment it did yeah were there perhaps residuals that helped tide you over yeah yeah, yeah well, those just, little things yeah, yeah, yeah. might, might those be important, Are those to, important to us? <laughs> do they still do they still pay residuals i'm not sure <laughs> I, I don't know if that's still a thing yeah um so and, and so paperman um can you know just tell people what paperman was about um and, and i'm curious how autobiographical well just about yeah the... <laughs> that's funny you should ask that because i mean obviously at, at its heart it is about a marriage and it is sort of about a, a, a you know a long married couple very different people one of them is a surgeon a very established surgeon and the other one is a sort of a struggling author and it's sort of a slice of time where, you know, they set him up out in um, Long, Long Island, Island Montauk. to sort of go and, and retreat for a while and see if he can complete his second novel because he's struggling with writer's block and just all kinds of discontent in his life. And so his wife sends him out to Montauk and get that book finished. And she comes in and out and visits him. But during the time that he's out there, he befriends in a purely 100% platonic way a sort of a, a young girl, a local, and they just kind of form this lovely friendship where they reach these, this very awkward understanding with one another about loss and sadness and feeling unsure about yourself. And so, which all sounds very normal, but we also we put in a, an imaginary friend character that's a superhero named Captain Excellent, played by Ryan Reynolds of superhero now fame. <laughs> yes, um, and so it was uh, Jeff Daniels played the 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 author. Um, uh, Lisa Kudrow was, was his wife. Ryan was the uh, the sort of the, the comic relief. The um, you know the imaginary friend. Emma Stone was the um, uh, the, the girl that he meets and befriends, and uh, Kieran Culkin was. Uh, sort of her uh, shoulder to cry on sort of guy. So it's a it's a very small scale thing, but it's also and 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 it it doesn't really um sort of describing it in sort of pure story terms. It's it's it's, it's very it, much a character. It's story. a character story, yeah. but it's also it's it's sort of odd. <laughs> it's not it's not it's not told in a in a in a sort of a straight a straight line. Jeff Daniels is a is a sort of messed up on on super complicated guy and and emma's character is as well and it's 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 Isn't comic it? but it's also you know it's 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 serious at its heart but it's kind of uh it sort of has this big thematic that runs through it sort of about ex extinction and and sort of you know uh what kind of legacy legacy do you leave behind as a writer and are we partly writing to sort of prevent ourselves from sort of being extinct and is it us leaving our stamp on the world and there's an extinct chicken this is a true thing called the heath hen that um, the Jeff Daniels character becomes completely obsessed with because he happens to be staying in the area where the last Heath Hen died and sort of that extinction event happened. And it sort of, it, he becomes sort of obsessed with the, the extinction of this North chicken, American this Heath North American Heath Hen. And, and is he gonna become extinct because he's an only child, the Emma Stone character is an only child and they're sort of obsessed with- And it's also, you know, it's also- Where about, is this going? It's also about soup. Yeah, a lot. Soup is is big. Soup is big in the story. So, you know, that, is that a good idea? I don't know. It's a, it really it's, pivots all around soup. A lot, marriage is, a lot is, of it has to do with soup. Okay, I I, I like soup. Um, <laughs> so you 
and you direct you wrote and you directed it now yeah. uh, it sounds like you know kieran you you had directed some theater no michelle was the theater director michelle was the theater director yeah. you were just acting in the right yeah. michelle was the theater director okay so had you and but you went through the sundance director's yeah. lab and yeah but you know had you directed any thing nope. before that nope no nope. this was our first thing which which is completely crazy when you're working with a limited budget, but you're also working with a pretty experienced cast in a lot of cases. I mean, the cast it's is pretty, incredible. It's it crazy. It so you've got people walking onto your set, someone like Jeff, who'd made something like 40 movies, you know, um, and 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 for him to trust us and uh, as first time directors, again, working with a really small, you know, like a three and a half million dollar budget. Um, and a very short schedule and a pretty, you know, a pretty complex, nuanced, weird fucking script to try to <laughs> render in. I think we had 21 shooting days um, in the middle of a Montauk winter. It was so, so, so many of the conditions were kind of challenging, but, you know, we were just, it was just a dreamy crew and an incredible cast that was willing to completely go all in and they were just brilliant. So you and know, if we you, got lucky. The, you know, the sort of the, first of all it's a it's a terrifying sort of trial by fire you know it just is but if you if you have any experience with sort of set life you know at least there's comfort there where you're not literally walking into yeah. a, a mysterious you know world that you've never you've never seen and as the uh, directing something that you've written you know it's such a it's such a especially if it's a personal thing to you you know if it's your story your object whatever that means to to you the sort of you know it so well. You have such an intimate relationship with the material that sort of making it happen live in front of you on on camera is is doable. You know, it's not a yeah. it's not a it's 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 not mysterious ultimately. Yeah, and a lot of the questions have been answered because yeah, you right. had to sort of you know. And this was this thing took us from the time we came out of the Sundance Lab till we finally got it going. We had. It was five years because we had different actors attached. We got financing and lost it a couple of times. You know, typical independent film roller coaster. So by the time we got, we, we were ready. We were so over ready to do it. By the time it came around, we'd been living with it for years and we knew it inside out, like Kay said. And so, so I'm not saying it was easy at all because directing <laughs> is, is, is a very three-dimensional complex process, but, but certainly it, it, it was massively to our advantage that we sort of were inside these characters so deeply that we, and then had such brilliant actors that it just, it just, you know, it, it was a really high, a real big highlight experience. It was a huge challenge, but just seminal for us, like super, super, we want to do it again. We're planning on doing it again. And so how did things change once you had written and directed that film well the the the, the big change for us came before, before okay. we, before we ended up directing it we, we also had a and this is the the you know the, the this part of the biography that's um uh it, it was the entry into the writing stuff we ended up we, this, yeah just guild rules here yeah we just we ended no, up doing right. we ended up we, we will not name the project um, because that's against the WGA rules. But we um, we ended up doing a production rewrite on a very large movie. Um, at the at the same time as we were in the Sundance uh, uh, labs, we 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 sort of fell into by the act by happy accident into doing a production rewrite on a big sort of blockbuster movie. So and we were on that film for you know, on and off through a couple of rounds of months, you know, yeah. the reshoots for, you know, on and off for a, a year, basically. Mm. And so and we had, had the paper man script gotten you that. Yes, yes, up? yes. Yeah. That yeah. was the thing, Andrew, it was so crazy. I mean, it, you know, coming, coming out of Sundance then and still, and, you know, we owe so much to that place. Um, you know, you always, you're going to always get eyeballs on your script if you've been in that writer's lab or that director's lab. And so that's lovely. And so it just became, we're so lucky, it just became a real calling card. I mean, again, this sounds like I shouldn't even say this, but, you know, even now, in a few weeks ago, people still talk about reading that script. I mean, <laughs> it just, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, it, it, it really became a great calling card for us and opened so, so, so many doors. And you would never believe, or we would never believe that off of this little teeny script, 
we would get some op the opportunities at the sort of big studio level that we started to get, but and, but uh, we did so. One of which, and there's a long story here, and, and I, I, I will not tell it because it's ancient history. But because we'd written a superhero character in our tiny little indie, indie film, um, the, the, you know, a short time afterwards, we got a call from Warner Brothers, from an executive of Warner Brothers, to ask us if we would like to write the Justice League. Um, the DC DC franchise movie because obviously we knew how to do it because we had written a superhero. <laughs> um, now this is not that kind of superhero. He doesn't do anything super. It's the opposite of superness. Is is, is kind of the joke. But the, that little tiny script had an element in it that caught the eye of an executive at Warner Brothers. We thought mm, this would be interesting. Maybe you know I love the script and there there's a voice here. I wonder if they if you know if it's it would be a match for a sort of a big DC property. And that um, we did write that that was a, a script that George Miller was um, was in the process of in pre-production. Um, Maggie was cast in the building sets mm -hmm. and everything in Australia when the last writer's strike happened. And one of the, you know, it sort of slowed us down. And actually that movie didn't end up getting made. But it was uh, it was a it was a big jump up from a tiny little movie to, a, yeah. to a, a, you know, a seven superhero character franchise movie that. Uh, so you never know, you know, you never where, know. Where's, you know what's gonna what's gonna be the thing that does does, does the thing that she wants. But so that was kind of that's the way that pay, what the Paperman sort of being a, a film that you could see in the theaters wasn't the thing that changed our lives. It was Paperman it was the screenplay. Existed. It was the, it was the script, the script the circulating yeah. As, yeah. As, as sort of a sample for you know yeah. Colin Carter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and Power Rangers happens at some point. Yeah. Power Rangers happened sort of much later. That the the other sort of the, the sort of produced movie in between those two was the Sherlock Holmes. Oh, Sherlock the, Holmes was before, right? Shadow, right. Shadow, the, okay. the, yeah. the second one of those, but also at Warner Brothers. Um, uh, also, a, a fascinating experience came partly out of our relationships with the with with Warner Brothers that happened because of you know it, it's a it's a continuum. It's all one. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of us do us do so many of um, us writers a lot of uncredited rewriting where mm -hmm. we've rewritten and and worked on and had great experiences and learned a lot from rewriting a ton tons of stuff that you don't necessarily ever put your name on. But yeah. so we've done a lot of that too. And then you know, yeah, Power Rangers was a, was a rewrite. That was something that we we were one of the team of many writers that brought that thing to the screen. Are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties? Do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig? When you look around a room of people, do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month? Have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person? Us too. She's Alexis B. Preston. She's Ella McLeod. And we host Comfort Creatures, the show where you can't talk about your pets too much, animal trivia is our love language, and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs. Tune into Comfort Creatures every Thursday on Maximum Fun. And here's a here's a uh, a, a, a segue if you, if you want. I don't, I'm not trying to impose it. That's a segue on you at all. <laughs> but the uh, the first the first studio job that yeah. we, that we got through our little little Paperman movie. Um, the the first job we ever got at a at a major studio. Our first you know to get into the studio game. Um, was a, uh, adapting a book called The Sleeping, the Sleeping Father. Yeah. I will take. Uh, I will take that segue. <laughs> I will accept that segue. <laughs> exactly. So, the, that book was brought to you. We actually had, you know, I don't know if these happens anymore. I hope they do. But we actually had a blind deal at um, Warner Brothers coming out of Sundance, where it was just, "We're going to hire you for something. Let's mm. figure out what it's going to be." And uh, Michael London, the producer at Groundswell, um, this was even pre-Groundswell days, yeah. but um, Michael found Sleeping Father, the book, uh, and said, I don't know, this is kind of a cool, weird one. I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but given Paperman, it sort of seems like it might be in your lane. And, and of course, we were in love with Matthew Sharp's novel. It's absolutely freaking hilarious and dark and weird. I mean, everything we loved with with brilliant vivid complex characters and so we took it on 20 years ago and it was just a happy writing experience I mean we had the best time wrangling the book I mean you know um you know with with any adaptation with lots of respect to 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 Matthew's work you know use a lot of what's in the novel and then you have to sort of invent a lot you have to sort of 
you know, fit it to the form. And so that was a big challenge. I mean, there were some other writers who had been sniffing around that book because it was it had gotten some sort of popularity at that moment. And, and they had deemed it unadaptable. And we said, no, <laughs> but it, it, which, we will adapt this book. Which turns out to be true. They were right. <laughs> they were wrong, so. no, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, what, one of the reasons we love the book is that it isn't one of those books you read where you instantly go, well, look, of course it's a movie or a TV show or whatever. It was complex and it was like, oh, how do you, how do you attack, uh, you know, attack this thing? And uh, that was, a, that was a, our first studio gig and a great experience. And then it had its own, as they always do, its own crazy life. We had um, Sam Mendes attached to direct it at one point, and then we were attached to direct it. Um, with Billy Bob Thornton um, attached to play uh, Bernie and with Hilary Swank attached to play, uh, was Dan it Dan Meyer? Yeah. That's right. And um, of course, just because the way the world works, we were attached to do Sleeping Father. And then finally, for the third time, the financing came together on Paper Man and we sort of had to choose what yeah. we were going to move forward with. And because we made terrible choices, instead, of, instead of doing the studio comedy, we made a little indie movie <laughs> that a few people have seen and some of those few liked it. Yeah. No, I mean, it was it was because Paper Man was our OG baby. We sort of, we, we had to go get that thing yeah. done. And um, no regrets. It was a great choice, but but so it, it it began its life as a as a screenplay as a, yeah. as, a as a feature film. Um, and in that screenplay version, how long? I'm just curious. Like, how long is Bernie in a coma in the screenplay? That's a good question. I think it's um, not long. I think he's out by the end of the first act. I mean, yeah. the, sc the screenplay takes you, and, and and you know, it's so rare that writers get two bites at an apple, right? That you get to adapt something as a feature, and then. Warner Brothers were like, well, what about years and years? They never would let the project go. And so years and years later, they were like, wait a minute, could it be a TV show? And we initially were like, I don't think so. I don't think that's right. But in terms of structure of the story, of course, in a screenplay, you sort of tell the full A to Z story. And then when you come to the TV version, you get to stretch that over three or four seasons, possibly. So that, you know, the screenplay was jammed with huge story event after story event. And our characters went through a shit ton of stuff. I think the span of the, the timeline of the feature was probably two years, yeah, so, yeah. about two years of the life of the Schwartz family um, was, was in the movie. And crazy shit happened, like Frank Dial and Kathy have a baby together. And... Uh, Dan Meyer and Bernie form a very fucked up sort of relationship after a long and torrid sort of triangle between Chris, Bernie and Dan Meyer. And uh, that, that got really freaky and insane. Uh, Bernie does sort of get rehabilitated to a certain point where he's able to sort of function out in the world again, but it's rocky but and the, crazy. The, the, the sort of the, the hook of the, of, the, of the film, the screenplay, which you know had the world you know, had things going in a different direction would also have been the sort of a hook of the TV show is that once once Bernie comes out of his coma, which he you know in, in the the two episodes that we read he's he you know goes into a coma in the first episode and then he wakes up at the end of the second um, is that basically Chris his his shithead shit inappropriate yeah. asshole kid sort of breaks him out of the hospital and decides to rehabilitate him in his own in his own way. So he and his sister do terrible, terrible things to a very incapacitated, uh, incapacitated <laughs> Bernie the Schwartz, partly out of revenge for the ways that, the, you know, that they've been sort of hurt and, and disappointed by their family life, and partly because you know, Chris thinks he knows everything and he's going to get this dad back up on his feet. And so there's a lot of you know, like disastrous, bad medical, you know, sort of and 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 rehabilitation ideas that play out over the course of um and sort of the fundamental idea that sort of Bernie realizes when he wakes up that he perhaps preferred his life when he was in a coma. You know, and so he comes out of this with this real condition called aphasia where you you can't find the right word for things. And so he struggles with language mightily, but he also sort of comes out of it only being able to tell the truth. And so he's incredibly direct and he's cre incredibly frank and he fucks up all kinds of stuff with his ex-wife, with Dan Meyer, with Frank and his family. I mean, it, it gets 
it gets pretty in intense. And the book sort of goes to some really crazy places. You know, Frank, Frank Dahl's father comes out of prison and comes back into their life and really disrupts their life. Kathy um, starts out of her religious fervor, starts working at a, a homeless shelter. Uh, so sorry, a shelter for um, battered women, which is how it was put then, which is not how it would be put now. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of one of the people from that shelter sort of infiltrates their lives in a life in this really weird, uh, disorienting way. So it sort of it blows out from just the family unit in both the book and our screenplay and what would have would have been um, a TV version. So a lot of rich stuff to explore in that book. And I, you, you never feel like you quite do it justice. And the reason we decided 20 years later to take a crack at it in, in TV format was because we thought we could get into more of the layers of what was going on because, you know, that. And it's sort of one of, allowed one of the nice TV. things, Matthew Sharp, who's um, obviously the, the author of the, the book um, and a terrific guide, um, was very, very pleased with the adaptation as a, as a screenplay and was we were in conversation with him in, when we when we adapted it, our own adaptation into a TV show. Yeah, and is a is is a a, a long time sort of friend slash acquaintance of ours. So there's been a there's been a sort of a long long distance. He doesn't live here, but um, uh, you know, sort of relationship with the author of that book because we we you know we we are fans of one another. You know, we've been going at it for so long. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad he'll get to hear. Yeah, you know, no, he's really um, glad yeah, too. He, yeah. he's so really I'm excited for this. Yeah, for for, for um, to go back for one second. I'm just curious: was there one executive at Warner Brothers who was the one who who was there long enough to to be persistent and you know keep this project in mind, or were there multiple um, multiple execs there who who brought it up? So it, it wasn't like it was a pet. Hands. Yeah, uh, okay. it started under Jeff Robinoff. Um, way back when in the, you know, so what, this was about 2004, 2005. And we, we were at this long enough that everybody who was an executive <laughs> or was attached to it as an executive ended up running that studio. Exactly. Honestly, it was Greg Silverman. It was a good luck charm. Yeah, well, like, I'm not sure. It was, but it was Greg Silverman who, after uh, the, the Robinoff era, what became the, 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 the head of the studio there, he was, he was our executive when we wrote it. And so he held on to it very, very tightly because he'd always loved the he loved the book and he loved the script and we, we ended up doing a lot of things with Greg. Um, and then he became uh, the head of the studio after after he left. A few versions after that, the, the Courtney Valenti, who was also an executive, uh, that sort of in our in our orbit during the early days with with uh, Sleeping Father, became the head of the studio. So there was kind of a reason why they didn't. Nobody wanted to let it go. Not because they ever had any intention of making it. I mean, look, they did initially, but you know, things. It's really been interesting the last twenty years. Just you know, there just came a point where that just wasn't the kind of movie, and that's totally cool that Warner Brothers right. was making it. Or any studio, or anyone really was yeah. making. I mean, that time sort of came and went where the the major studios weren't going to make things like this, and that's that's just how it is, you know. And that was cool. So it was really actually kind of lovely when. Um, you know, when uh, Susan Rovner and, and Jeff Grovner, who were the execs on the, the the TV version, along with Michael London, who is just, by the way, just the most brilliantly relentless producer who never gives up on anything, which we love. Michael. Including this one. He's we, love Michael. we love Michael for so many reasons, but that's one of them. But, you know, the, the, it was really amazing that, that somehow the script had sort of lingered in people's consciousness and somehow people were still reading it. It was very bizarre. Mm. And... Uh, it, uh, you know, we jumped at the chance. We were kind of nervous about, you know, going back into that, you know, old material. You were kind of like, I don't know, do we want yeah. to revisit that? You know, is there anything still there? And, and um, you know, looking through it all again, we just really, you know, we have a love for an enduring love for these bananas characters and their predicaments. But it's also, there's a, um, again, depending on, you know how how anyone responds to the, this material. You know, if, uh, from from the reading or you know any future past in, in, incarnation of it, is that the paper, uh, paper man, uh, 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 sleeping father is very much our voice. You know what I mean? It's it's we, you know we write a lot of action movies, you know, world building stuff with big heroes and big problems and stuff like that. And it's not that you you remove your voice when you write those, but you're writing for you're writing to a target. You're writing yeah. to 
uh, sort of a genre expectation and you're trying to surprise people and you're trying to do all the great things that all great writers do in you know working with I'm not saying we're great writers no, no. Old, let's say <laughs> well, old, other great writers, old working writers yeah, exactly. let's just say working let's but, just keep it that. but you don't get the opportunity within the system that often to do something that's really sort of purely yourself that's outside of that the broader lane yeah you know, where the where the studios support you in writing in a narrower lane that's still that's still something that they'd be interested in in you know in sort of pursuing and so this is one of those rare rare times in in, in during the length of our career where we could jump into a, into a studio backed project and let ourselves be sort of ourselves and let characters talk in ways that aren't that are you know sort of heightened and not necessarily realistic and aren't supposed to be even like real human behavior in a way. <laughs> you know, it's associated with human behavior, but it's not stuff that you want your kids to be doing, you know. And uh and they were so supportive all all, all the way along mm. the line about but you know, the reason why it, it, this this show isn't on the air, didn't get on the air, wasn't because they we didn't have support from the studio or people didn't like the script or we weren't committed to, you know, all the millions of reasons why something doesn't happen all happened, obviously. But the support behind sort of letting us just go and run and do weird stuff and be a little bit stupid and a little bit goofy and a little bit uncomfortable and all those things um, that you that you want to do when you're on your own time, you know, or yeah. we, we do yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, we're we're built into this project. So the reason why we why we're so thrilled that 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 you found it, you know, and that you you embraced it is that it's 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 one of those rare things that feels like, oh, that's 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 us. And yeah. love it or hate it. It's but it is it's the it's way strong flavor. It's the but... way we do things. No, it has yeah. such a voice. You know, I think about, you know, Frank Dial and Chris, you know, some of their interactions, the way that those like teenage boys like, you know, speak to each other, the letter that's yeah. written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, portrayed. that's not in the book. There's I right. mean there's a lot of brilliant stuff in the book, but sort of one of the fun things was very much inspired by what Matthew did do in the book was like taking the Chris and Frank stuff and taking it into that weird place where they communicate via letters and all the kind of bizarre language and sort of the, the, the code triple, network. Triple double negatives and all the stuff, yeah. you know, and the ass ice cream we, we, we made up as a, you know, just so so again it we and that's that's I think when a when a, an adaptation and that kind of collaboration with the author is is exciting is when you know you open that book and you kind of go Jesus I get this voice I get Matthew Sharp's voice and it's brilliant it's a, it's a cousin of our voice you know we're cousins in there and we can sort of then you know again take that you know the brilliant creations that he had on, on the page and then that inspired us to sort of push them further and take them to other crazy places so it, it you know that that was really you know all credit to Matthew but a, a real joy to be able to do that and was it ever because you love the book and his writing so much yet you're still I mean the book is written sort of from Chris's point of yeah point of view and yeah. it's set in Connecticut and uh, yeah yeah, yeah. this is where I pretend I've read the book um <laughs> it's worth but, I, wasn't, I wasn't believing I didn't buy it for a second <laughs> um but so was it harder to make those changes because you loved the the writing so much? Yeah, and here's the thing that's actually now you're you're asking that question. You know, the screenplay was set in Connecticut, yeah. and the screenplay was actually closer to the book. Twenty years go by, and I'll say this because it was actually I think important for our process. We didn't we deliberately did not reread the book when we came back all those years later to the TV adaptation precisely because we didn't want to feel so we loved it and we knew we loved it, but we didn't want to feel so tethered to it that we couldn't sort of invent and stretch and do the things you need to do to sort of write a satisfying season or multiple seasons of television. So and, and it was a different job. And so we kind of deliberately went, let's not get fall in love with the book again, because it might actually constrain our ability to feel free. And we, we moved it to LA because if it did go, we could shoot it here and we would, we could, we could sleep it <laughs> on the beach. That's actually the truth. We like, yeah, yeah. The more experience you have, the more you realize like, <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, important, exactly. how important that is. We don't want to be in the snow. <laughs> in, in, uh, yeah. I'm sure it's pretty. Get away from your that. kids. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 um, yeah. So in between adapting Dickens for a dog and this project, was there any other television that you wrote? I can't remember. We did. 
Yeah, it was just before we had one of the, we, you know, we really features people and that's most of what we do. So we've had a couple of pieces of TV development. Sleeping Father was one. And then there was this other great book called The Nowhere Girls that we adapted for Amazon um, right at the height of the Me Too right, moment. The, like just, just right. before Me Too. Yeah, it was breaking. It was a, it was a, it's actually a beautiful it's book. It's a beautiful it's, book. It's a, it's a YA audience book. In other words, it's, it's, for, it's for a teenage audience set in a high school and it's about very serious. It's not, it's not dystopian future stuff. It's a, I think they call them mid, middle readers. And mm. there's a, a, a publishing term for it, but um, about a, a, a sexual assault in a, in a, in a, that happens in a high school in a town and the, the, the fallout from it and, um, um, you know, the way it impacts everybody and, and stuff. And so it was, uh, it's, it, it's, again, it's sort of a, a lovely book, super um, uh, emotional and evocative and stuff. And we actually, we, when it came out, we optioned it and um and adapted personally it. you you yeah had, you yeah, okay. yeah and sold it to uh sold it to a pitch to amazon that's competitive you know a lot of people wanted it but it was oddly and i think ultimately one of the reasons why that one didn't go is that it, we we got it literally like three weeks before the first big me to you know the sort of explosion of of or the implosion of you know the, the 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 entertainment business and the the you know the business of culture into the into the it, it, you know that that subject matter and it became a thing that we ended up I don't know if this is if, if this is a boring story but we <laughs> the, the world was moving so fast that we couldn't keep up with the adaptation of it almost you know mm -hmm. it was it sort of became overwhelmed that project became overwhelmed by reality yeah right. um, and it's not that it became um, irrelevant it didn't it didn't I'd encourage anybody to read the book because it's beautifully done but um uh we just couldn't keep up yeah, yeah. by and the time it, it was really done and the, the, through the development process yeah. the world did, there were also lots of other things in that lane being written and the sort of world had moved beyond it but um again i, I you know I, it was a great experience very challenge very different for us very serious course very um intensive a really fun um challenge for us to do an hour-long adaptation and we have a couple tv things where once we uh move beyond our work stoppage we have a couple tv <laughs> projects that are in motion that we're going to take out to market so we're not which, you are, know, which are closer to which are half hours that are, that are, that okay are, where was yeah. sleeping father was is set up like through warner brothers warner brothers the whole time so this big big warners and then for tv warner brothers tv and then um you know that was the challenge was sort of selling it on to and that was again, entity. Um, the, the reasons that things don't happen are the, the legion um but the, the warner brothers tv that our run with with uh, with wbtv was just before um, they they uh, went went to streaming, you know, yeah. before okay. HBO Max started or whatever okay. it was called before. That. Okay, so it was the studio um, that had you write two. Yes. That's right. Episodes. Yeah. They yeah, wanted yeah. they wanted yeah. two to take to. That's right. To take yeah. that to market. Yeah. 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 Um, probably. I mean, was it because it was just like so you understood that this yeah. guy is not in a coma <laughs> for the whole show? <laughs> exactly. Like, wait a minute. Well, yeah. Exactly. We needed to get him in and out of his coma and sort of start at least indicating what post coma life, you know, that it was going to exist. And yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it's such a, you know, you get to the end of that second episode and you, by that, you know, you really do want to know, okay, well, what is, you know, well, the whole time you're, happen. you're never on firm footing with this, you know, because you're never quite sure what kind of show this is, I know. You know? Um, <laughs> which is what I loved. I was just like, I couldn't guess what the, <laughs> what's the next scene is going to be, you know, you're just like, this is um, it's, not it's, slotting into, you yeah. know, to, to any template really it's, could that be why they didn't make it? <laughs> it's actually funny because again a few years have gone by since we when we did the tv adaptation of this before you you so kindly invited us on to, to hear it out loud and walking away from the reading with those with the, 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 you know Just these, amazing, these amazing talented actors doing such such terrific work on our on, on the words that we wrote down um basically walking away and saying what you just said it's like what a weird what, a, what the wow. fuck was that <laughs> who wrote what was that who we wrote that what were, we, what were we thinking <laughs> that's <laughs> why i was asking if you had done much tv or seen any television because <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know that's not how we do this right 
But I actually, uh, speaking to that point, is is it, you know, is it is it a sort of a willful trait of ours? Maybe it is to be, you know, it's it, and it's not curmudgeonliness or something, but you know, we actually did approach it as let's not fit this into into a box. It's and and this this will sound this this will not sound good when it comes out of my mouth, and she's gonna be mad at me. But <laughs> but it was because we already had the we'd already done it. Right, so yeah. the second go at it, it's it, it's it was sort of like we don't need this, and I don't mean we don't need it to be successful. We do, and we did, <laughs> but we we sort of felt freed by the by the second life of this. Yeah, mm. and so we actually we were talking, you know, should we put this in a lane? Should we move this into sort of a family, you know, sort of dramedy lane? Should it be a broad comedy lane? Should it be a modern family? Should it be you know? Should we hit a target? And we thought, you know what? Let's just let it be what it is, and let's see if if that's something that the world wants. And it and it didn't. <laughs> um, but it was it was it was kind of a you know like I use the word willful um, because we were like, all right, let's just let's just let it be. And if it goes, it could be it's it could be arresting because it's not the yeah. the, the thing that everybody's doing. Um, you know, I still think you know, in some some perfect world, it still could be because it's not. Yeah. You know, the world has changed since we wrote it with the streaming. There's there's a there's broader yeah. array of styles available now than there were when we wrote it. You know, when I think about some a show like Beef or something, you know, yeah, like that's exactly. That, you know, that's not fitting what into any that? template. Yeah. What is that? You know, it's yeah. just like the way the storytelling unfolds is like, yep. you know, so. Yeah, you, you, you know, they, they seem, you know, they take those chances a little bit less, you know, um, than yeah. that sort of, yeah. you know, and and often I feel like a streamer, when they start, they'll take some chances yeah. and then they, you know, <laughs> but I mean, Netflix was still taking a chance, you know, on that all these yeah. years later. So what's the, I'm curious just about your process with the two of you, like mm -hmm. how, um, you tell me a little bit about how it works. It's fraught. No, I'm kidding. It's not fraught. <laughs> it was funny. We've been doing it together for so long. I mean, we're married, you know, and, and it's been over 20 years we've been writing together. It, it really sort of depends on the, the project and also where we're at. So if we're very, very fortunate, we have more than one thing going, for example, um, you know, sometimes that will mean that we will we will split things up a little bit more. But for the most part, we... You know, we certainly in in the planning and, you know, we're not really outliners, but in the sort of thinking and pre-planning phase, we're very, very much together all the time. And we tend to sort of really want to start something writing knee to knee and sort of make sure that we're getting the tone and the voice and the world and stuff really well set up. Sometimes if we're cooking along like that, we will find that one of us just has a, a passion about this section. And so one of us will go into another room and sort of work on that for a while, bring it back for editing and we'll swap pieces of work like that. For years and years, we did that. And then I'd say recently we've gone back to a much more just writing everywhere really? together, really hashing it out together. For the last several years, we've, we've, um, we've taken that approach and have enjoyed that a lot. I mean, it, you know, we, you know, we fight over grammar a lot. We fight over punctuation a the lot. Big fight. Um, always. But you know, single dash, double dash, ellipse. You know, it's there's a lot of important. And you must have fights over like, you know, British versus. Yeah. yeah, yeah sometimes yeah, yeah. there yeah. really are just kind of weird. But, but we there's a there's a and again Michelle said it's sort of project dependent because our 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 day job our job job um, is 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 usually in the sort of the the studio action adventure space right yeah. and in the, i'm not saying that there's a that there's an autopilot on that because Hell there's no. absolutely mm -hmm. not but it is it is something that you can break down into sequences yes. more right because your your act structure needs to be you know rock solid your 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 your, your action sequences need to land where they have to land there's not a lot of discussion about what needs to happen when right so you can split mm -hmm. that off things like sleeping father like paperman from way back in the day or that we have a little movie we're trying to set up right now um we would only ever do side by side oh god yeah um because then it's sort of then it's 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 words and apt phrases and the humor within within i'm not talking jokes but the sort of the off the slightly off kilter voice of in character and even description and stuff is is at its best when we're doing it sort of live side by side so I think sort of the acting backgrounds really help us because we we just sit and improv you know we just 
bounce dialogue off one another and get into the character. I don't mean in it that sounds like goofy and terrible. I just mean we're speaking a lot of stuff out loud to one another, well, yeah, seeing that's... what's landing and what's working. I don't know how people do this alone yeah. in features. I really don't. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, you just have that built-in editor with the other person. He's got to get the idea by me. I've got to get it by him. And, and if it's not going to fly with one of us, it probably won't fly with someone reading it. So we have that kind of extra level of, of sort of verification of everything that has to happen, which we we really benefit from. But a lot of it is just us talking out loud, riffing out loud, and then sort of, oh, that that's good. Okay, then we, we, we put that on the page. But but we we do we we write very we have very different individual approaches. I tend to be thinking ninety percent of the time and then typing as little as I possibly can. And he's more of a hands on the keyboard thinking with the hands on the keyboard dude. I'm like hiking around the reservoir, and in my mind, that's me writing for three hours. I mean, I'm I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. Then I'm ready to just attack. I mean, and we we split up. And then it's me sitting in the office waiting for her to come back from the freaking <laughs> reservoir so that we can go to work. And I can actually tell you, where have you been? Um, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a another thing. Michelle said we're not real out outliners. We obviously are. We know you know you have to have a, you have to have a framework that you're working within. But we can only do that because there's 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 two of us. You know, I think if you're a, if you're a solo screenwriter, you better know what's coming next all the time or you're going to be you're going, you can spin you can spin out into incoherence you know i think but you know we can we can spin out as well but there's always somebody there to sort of go this doesn't make any sense hang on hang on oh, yeah. time out what are we doing you know so yeah we but so don't you know honor the outline people honor the outline <laughs> it's an important thing don't, don't listen when we're like we're not a, everybody's an outliner in their own way that's right um it's interesting the the acting background and that you know, you are able, because, you know, sometimes it's, you know, side by side is someone typing and then yeah. take a look at this, you know, yeah. being in their head, writing it down, showing yeah. the other person, or it can be what you're yeah. describing, yeah. which is you're really inhabiting, it's like a writer's room, you know, more yeah, like exactly. a, room. a little bit like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we actually, we put it, you know, we put it up on a, on a, on a big screen and sit back and some one person types and it's not, you know, it's either one of us, it doesn't, we're looking at it on this giant big like TV mm. screen on the wall. We're like, uh, but we, you know, it's that thing of, um, you know, saying dialogue out loud. And if it can't come out of our mouth sounding good or interesting, then chances are someone else, someone so much more talented than us <laughs> will go, what the fuck? You know? So I think, you know, yeah, so that, that filter is, is great. We've been, most recent thing we've been working on is a, is a Western, um, and, uh, for a, for a, a studio and, um, I can't tell you how much fun it is to sit around doing like horrific Southern accents, <laughs> especially, you know, Michelle's from England, having her sort of put on her big like Southern accent and be like, well, ain't you done the dumb thing? And hey, you know, we're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that if you walked in, you'd be like, wow, that is just, that's just terrible acting. It's just terrible, <laughs> terrible acting. <laughs> you got to keep it fun. It's yeah, just, uh, no, it's remarkable. And uh, you know, amazing that you've been able to to do this stay as married? a married couple, <laughs> stay married, um, you know. And uh, I, I'm just so glad that this, you know, strange script did did come across my screen because um, <laughs> I really I loved it on the page and you know just really loved hearing it read yeah, by, by this saying, cast. It was it such was, a treat. Got so involved, you know. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, it's a weird one. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird it's one. A weird, it was, I can't tell you what a gift it was to us after 20 years yeah. of having these characters rattling around somewhere in the back of our heads. It was just kind of weird and amazing to actually uh, hear them inhabited by by Sierra these Bob great actors, and like someone like Sierra probably yeah. who we are super fans of, <laughs> all those great people. But it just was uh, it was just a delight and such a treat. We're so grateful for it. Uh, well, we were thrilled to get to do it. Thank you so much. Um, and, Thank and you, Andrew. I know I'll be seeing you. Uh, yeah, we'll probably tomorrow. We're together. That's right. I'll see you in the circle where, on the where line. You, where are you going? What's your plan? <laughs> uh, Amazon uh, abortion rights picket. I'm there. Uh, tomorrow. I'm one of the organizers yeah. of that thing. Yeah, I'll, I'm there. I'll be there. So, all right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that. Thank you to Michelle and Kieran. 
We're going to be back with another great Dead Pilot later this month. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Not a lot of original content out there right now. New original content. We're We're still doing this. Follow us on social media. We're starting to do more live shows. It's a great way to find out about those. They tend to sell out quickly. You know, we're still on Twitter, Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the picket lines. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.